Thanks, Chris. Good morning, everybody. Um, this is week six, I believe, of a series that we've been going through as a church here, in, in the sermons anyways, um, called Follow Me, and it's uh, been unpacking one week at a time uh, topics such as the first week, which what does it really mean? To, what does Jesus mean when he says to follow me? We also learned about the upside-down world that uh, God calls, calls us to conform our lives to and actually a reality that he, can, he invites us to conform to. Counting the cost showed us that there is actually a price that has to be paid to be a part of this uh, journey that Jesus calls us to follow him on. The next uh, message was carry the cross where we learned what it meant to deny ourselves. What did Jesus actually mean when he said, except a man take up his cross daily and deny himself, he cannot be my disciple. And last week we, we heard Nick speak about uh, what kingdom values are and what an eternal perspective looks like when he spoke on beyond what we see. So as we think about where we are in the sermon series and also with regard to the season that we're in, uh, the week before Easter, the Christian celebration of Easter, the resurrection, uh, conforms to the, the Jewish festival of Passover. And so we are here uh, one week in our sermon series before Easter Sunday. And we also are uh, conforming with the prelude to Passover. So as we look into, our, into the scriptures today in John chapter 12, we're going to be entering into the story that was happening at the time of Jesus' journey toward Jerusalem where he was going to be celebrating the Passover. So this event, the events of today will be uh, starting six days before Passover. But before we get into that, um, I guess I just want to pray briefly and, uh, and uh, move forward. So thank you, Father, that you are good. Thank you for loving us and not leaving us on our own to try and navigate life ourselves, to try and figure out the world by ourselves. But you've spoken truth to us, truth that you said that if we continue in, has the power to set us free. So I pray that the, the power of your word to set people free would be operative today as we open our hearts and our minds to be taught by you, to learn of you, to find the rest that our souls crave. We trust you and give you the thanks ahead of time for how you're going to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we get into our, our, our passage here, I'm going to do an extensive reading from John chapter 12. It's not going to be on the board, so you can just listen. But um, this weekend, particularly yesterday, um, April 1st, which is ironically April Fool's Day, um, 40 April Fool's Days ago, I really went all the way. And Paul spoke of himself as a fool for Christ. They were accusing him of being a fool. Well, he, he said, you're exactly right. I am a fool. I've traded in my worldly wisdom that got me nowhere for the foolishness of serving Christ Jesus, my Lord. Forty Sundays ago, at the age of 21, um, I had come to the point where I was totally enslaved by drugs. I had forgotten what it was like to be straight. I had tried for a good several months to break free from the addictions that had taken hold of my life. And, and to be honest, um, there's a reason why people become 
you know, drug users or abusers, uh, because to some little degree, they, they cover the pain. That's what they're effective at. However, the problem is, is that the pain that I was seeking uh, relief from couldn't be dealt with externally. In addition to that, those sorts of substances uh, bring a, a bondage with them. And they, they, they effectively take control. So whereas you may have thought you had control, you wake up one day realizing that during, a, during whatever the process is, you've surrendered control and now you are hopelessly bound. And that's where I found myself 40 Sunday, 40 April 1st to go. And um, backing up from there, about three or four years, I wasn't raised in church, but I'd been brought to a gospel meeting around the age of, uh, just before I turned 18, and heard a message and heard an invitation. I heard a great story, a guy's great testimony, and then they offered this invitation. Well, would you like to receive Jesus? And I thought, well, hey, if, like, if this is who he is, why not, right? And so I said this prayer to receive Jesus. However, I was, I was not really taught about what it means to follow Jesus. But whatever knowledge I had, I took that step. And I want, I want to say that many of, many of us have been or are in that same situation right now. We, we really don't know much about Jesus, but something or somebody we know had a story and said, hey, guess what Jesus did for me? You know, you want to, would you like to meet him? Maybe that's, maybe that's you today, you know, I don't know. But that's where I was at the age of 17. Um, and even though I didn't really understand what it meant to become a Christian, which essentially is giving over lordship of one's life to another. In this case, it's Jesus. In fact, the object of truth today, everywhere in the world, is that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, there are those that actually understand that and conform to it. We are known as Christians. We are called children of God. Even though I didn't really understand all of that, Jesus took me at my word and led me through a few years of training to recognize, to give life and reality a chance to teach me what I didn't learn in church. So I uh, realized that when I was hopelessly bound in my drug addiction, I knew where I departed. I knew the path that I parted because to whatever that little uh, infantile level faith was at, Jesus met me there. And uh, if you want to know how he showed himself to me, I could show you, tell you a couple stories. But suffice it to say, it was enough to convince me in my mind, to take away my excuses, not caring what this other Christian person who calls himself a Christian was doing, what this person was doing, or blame this person for what they did to me. He took away my excuses and left me bare before him with a choice. It was either in or all out. And like we know from scriptures, it says that no man can serve two masters. He's going to serve the one and hate the other, or he's going to cling to the other and despise the, the, the other. So there I was with my choice. So on March 31st of 1984, uh, and if you ever wonder if God can hear the prayers of a drunk, intoxicated, or high person, I can tell you, yes, he does. Because he took me again at my word. My prayer was this. God, when I go up tomorrow, see, I'd blown my knee out. And that was my uh, surface-level reason for going up for prayer the next day in church. But I said, okay, God, when I go up for prayer, that's the day that, I'm gonna, that we're going to close this deal, and you're going to set me free. 
So I went up, and I didn't tell anybody I was going up there with regard to any other issues other than I just had this knee issue. Well, guess what? I still have the knee issue. In fact, I have two knee issues now and two replaced shoulders. But that day, I had a miracle. God set me free in a moment's time. I felt like I had a blood transfusion. Now, I've never had a blood transfusion, but if I could, I would, that's what it must feel like. Because the, the cravings, the shaking, the, all the, the distortion in my brain was, was cleansed. And the, it was taken away. And I'm so thankful that God did that to me that way. And not everybody who deals with those things has that same experience. But for me, that's what I needed. And, and likewise, it took away my ever being able to say that I did this in my own willpower. Because it all failed me. And so um, that's where, my, where, I would, where I really mark my journey of following Jesus back to. And so in, in, in a similar sort of way, where we're going to read from today um, doesn't start with the story of someone who was delivered from a, a demonization or some addiction or something like that. Someone was actually dead for three full days. I thought, or maybe it was four. Is it three or four? Correct me. Anyways, it was enough to know he was really dead. And his name was Lazarus, and he was a friend of Jesus's, uh, who was friends with their family. There was Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were all siblings, and they were in a friendship relationship with Jesus. And um, the story goes that Lazarus was dead, and um, Jesus actually delayed his, his response to the news when he heard it just to uh, 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 be in a situation to do something incredible. He could have healed Lazarus when he was sick, but he chose to delay his, his arrival until he was thoroughly dead for a reason. And this raising Lazarus from the dead uh, was, uh, was, was broadly, uh, was well known in the community, and it was spreading like crazy. And so I don't know exactly how far, you know, prior to where we're going to be in John chapter 12, which was six days before Passover occurred, but it was enough that the news was still spreading. And so Jesus was invited to the house of Mary and Martha for a dinner. And Lazarus was there. And when people heard that Jesus was coming, um, they also knew that Lazarus was there. So a crowd began to gather. And I can just imagine that... Um, Jesus kind of knowing, ahead, no, knowing where he was going to be, what he's going to be facing in the coming week, probably just wanted some time with friends. Just to, just to relate. Just to be comfortable and enjoy one another's company. In fact, we see an encounter here again with Mary where she saw and was so grateful and recognized that the, the most precious thing that there was about Jesus was, was just to know him. And she pulled out this expensive ointment. She, she was pouring out elaborate affection upon him. We'll read the story. But um, as would, would happen, a crowd started to gather. So this is kind of the setting, and we're going to just read it, and then we will circle back and make some observations. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. 
Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who he who was about to betray him said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed, be, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that we are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, my father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We've heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. And though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. I'm going to skip those quotes Verse 41 says, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But for the fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. 
For they love the praise that comes from man more than the praise that comes from God. So we'll pause there. There's a few more verses left that we're not going to cover. But we see the, the transition from the night before at Mary and Martha's house, six days before Passover, to the following morning. Now it's interesting to note who all was there at Mary and Martha's house. Um, there were friends there. there were, some of the disciples were there. There were curious onlookers who wanted to see Lazarus. They wanted to hear they wanted to see Jesus, who they had heard had raised him from the dead. There were also people there who were skeptics and were feeling threatened by Jesus. So you had a whole range of people from wholly devoted, like Mary, just abandoning herself in reckless worship, wasteful worship, if you ask Judas, to friends, disciples, and adversaries. Like the whole gamut of us. All of us were there, right? Every person like we are was represented there, I'd say. Um, and that's true, really, considering this whole story. And it's the nature of, of the ministry and life of Jesus. By this time, he'd been walking three, three years in his earthly ministry. There were people here that were there from like day one. And there were people there that that was day one for them and everywhere in between. And at some point along the way, they saw something, they heard something that piqued their interest. They saw something good. They saw something amazing. They saw something curious. But something drew them in to take another look, another question, another step to find out what more is, what's, what, is, what is there to this? Is this for real? Is this legit? And as so often happens in Scripture, and you can watch for this now in your Bibles if you haven't noticed already, when you see a crowd gather, which we're going to see a, really, a crowd gathering here this night, even grows bigger the next day. So if you never noticed this before, and I don't know if the other Gospels pointed out, but there's a very clear connection between those, this crowd that gathered at the dinner feast at Mary and Martha's, showing up the next day in Jerusalem, leading the entourage that was waving the palm branches. Now, because there was already a sizable group coming into Jerusalem for the upcoming feast, I can imagine, well, they had heard about Jesus too, and when they heard this crowd, this buzz happening, a crowd gathering, and the events happening, they just came to see what it was. And to the extent that they were there with curiosity to find out Jesus, I think they, they entered into the joyous celebration. And let me just say that if you're here today, if any of us are here today, because we heard somebody's story that we could relate to, that somehow inspired some hope in us, hey, maybe there's hope for me. I want you to know your hope is really well placed in God. Take the next step. Lean in. Because what we're going to find there is that when, uh, you know, when we see this crowd gathering, Jesus takes the opportunity, as he did in John chapter 6, as he did in Luke chapter 14, where crowds were gathering. In the first case, it was a crowd that had a miraculous feeding of thousands. And Jesus, seeing that moment, said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. Without any other explanation. And they looked at him and they're like, this is a hard saying. Who can bear it? And at that point, the Bible says that from that time on, many of his disciples walked no more with him. They left. 
And Jesus, watching them go, turned to the 12 and he said, you guys going too? And I got to think that there was this incredible moment of deafening silence where they were processing his question legitimately. Like, what did we get ourselves into? What does he mean here? But Peter spoke for the rest when he said, Lord, where else can we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. In Luke 14, it says there's a crowd following Jesus. A large crowd, it says. And he turned to them and says, except a man hate his father and mother, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Except you take up your cross daily and deny yourself, you cannot be my disciple. And you got to think that like, if, if a guy wanted to like, really make a name for himself in the world, he had every opportunity to build his numbers, to build the power, the force. You know what I mean? And he did the opposite. It's like he saw the crowds rising and the, the mood, the mob sort of thing happening. He's like, I, gotta, I, I need to speak to this. I need to, there's, a, there's a sifting we need to see here. And he tells him something hard. He does the same thing again here. And, and I, I imagine, I can't remember, I'm not recalling the commentary uh, in Luke 14, but we know some left in John 6. My guess is, is, that, is that they looked at, at this at, a, at the surface level. And they thought of the commandments. Well, the Lord, the, the, Moses told us to honor our mother and father. You're telling us to hate our father and mother? And we can be, in, you know, we can think of what it means to follow Jesus as if we have like this commonality. Like, okay, I, I, I'll follow Jesus because we all agree we should hate our parents, you know. And that becomes the unifying thing. Obviously, that's ridiculous. We're not called to follow a, a system of teachings, a philosophy. We're called to follow a person. And the only way, and, and implied in that, is Intimacy. And in fact, in a couple days later, he's having a really intimate moment with his friends, his disciples. And he says, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. Because a servant really doesn't know what's going on in the heart of his master. A friend does. I am calling you my friends now because I'm sharing the intimate things of my heart and my father's heart with you. But if you stay at a distance and you're like, hmm, I don't think so. You're going to hear the same words that Jesus said basically to divide. To see where we were really, uh, what were we going to do with this? Because if we'd already seen enough to make us think, you know what, I, there might be something here. And then we hear this contradicting thing. I'm like, I want to know really what he means. And so we lean in closer. It's there. We, we find what Jesus reserves for those that that we really will serve him, that we'll really know what the hidden treasures of the kingdom are. To the others, as Isaiah prophesied, they hear those, some of those hard things, and they're like, no, I don't think so. So when Jesus said, here, you can put up on the board, verse 23, uh, is it? 21, we'll start with, yeah, 22, 23. And Jesus answered them, the hour has come, for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, this was the first response that Jesus came with when the Greeks came and asked him, hey, we would like to see Jesus. And they thought, yeah, this is, this is what we're, we're here for too. We want to see you glorified. We want to see 
your rule established. And Jesus, and that's what Jesus does a lot of times. He'll set something up to elevate a certain expectation, and then he comes like down below with like a left hook or something to catch us off guard and hit us at a deeper place than our mind might have been ready for. And he does it here again. And at two levels, he says, Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And there's two levels at which this has an application. One would be the, the very immediate reality of him dying, literally dying in a very short while, but the fruit that would come out of his life. In fact, Jesus told the disciples, it's better for you that I go away. Because if I don't go away, then the comfort will not come. And I just can't imagine what the disciples were thinking when he told them, it's better for you that I go away. But the other side of this is the principle that just as Jesus carried his cross, he told the disciples, except you take up your cross daily, deny yourself and follow me. You can't be my disciple either. So he went on to say, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Jesus appeals to the, the common, uh, not what I say, the, it's, it's common to man. Every single person in the world wants their life. They want it to have meaning. They want it to have purpose. They want it to have value, significance. They want to feel fulfilled in their life. Jesus appeals to that. That's loving our life, right? That's wanting a life that matters. A good life. But he says the way to that, which I'm offering you, is not the way the world is going after it. Through asserting their own power, through climbing the ladder, stepping on other people, deceit, all of that stuff. It's through losing it. The way to the top is down in the kingdom of God. He that would be greatest among you must be servant of all. He that humbles himself will be exalted, but he that exalts himself will be brought low. And that's what he appeals to here. He says, it's the common, it's the, re, it's the repeating with slightly different terms of the, the calls to follow him that we've heard in previous weeks and different places in scripture. So again, he's taking the opportunity to hit us with the heavy stuff. Okay, if you really want to follow me, if you want the riches that I've reserved for those that love, love the Father, here's the way. Lose your life. Surrender. And if anyone serves me, he must follow me. But where I am, there will my servant be also. And if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So two things. One, again, the essence of following Jesus isn't to follow him at a distance. It's to walk with him. It's to know him. It's to commune with him. It's to find out what's in his mind and in his heart. How he does what he does. Why he does what he does. And what does this mean for me if I've, if I've been called to follow him? He's only being honest with us with the way reality is, right? And if anyone serves me, he says, the Father will honor him. And I just think that there's something in every one of us, even Jesus himself, whether he actually, quote, needed anything or not. The Father said at least two times, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. There's something in every one of us that we, we long to hear that. 
from our Heavenly Father. That, that's what's waiting for those who are faithful. Amen? Well done, good and faithful servant. It's a good thing to want that. And God wants to elevate us. God wants to put us on display. Do you know that? The, the question is, 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 can we be trusted with that, right? Or will we begin to take the glory for ourselves? Will, be, will, be, will we be like the group at the end of the passage that I read that love the praise of men more than the praise of, of God? And if we are addicted or enslaved or controlled by what other people think of us, we're not going to find God exalting us. Jesus said, he that is ashamed of me before men, who doesn't confess me before men, I will not confess before the Father. That's just a reality, folks. And that is part of that sifting process when we see something attractive in Jesus, when we hear his words, when we hear a story, and we're drawn in. We're like, wow, this is good. This is real. But oh, Isaiah saw the glory of the Lord. He was high and lifted up. And his response was, Woe is me. I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell among a people of unclean lips. He was the prophet of God at the time. And in the face of that unbridled holiness, all he could say is, Woe is me. But here's, where the, here's the entry part, point to the gate, folks. In another extravagant display of worship in Luke chapter 7, there was a girl, a, no, a notorious sinner, who came and interrupted a dinner party and started shamelessly worshiping Jesus and crying and pouring out her love upon him. And the Pharisees was offended. He said, he, she loves much because she's been forgiven much. But whoever's forgiven little, they love little. Our experience of the love of God is directly related to a couple things. One, our obedience to the call to follow him. The other is the recognition that we do not deserve it. That the love he has for us is only appreciated when we realize how much we didn't deserve it, how lost we really are. No, someone who's not drowning doesn't need someone to rescue them. Someone who's not lost doesn't leave, need someone to show them the way. <clears throat> but let's move towards the question here. <clears throat> when, we, when we look at this response, and I, I must admit, before this week, I never before our preparation, my preparation here, I never really connected the fact that, that the triumphal entry, which we know as Palm Sunday, was immediately followed by an amazing exit. So we call it the triumphal entry, entry but I think we could, we could equally call it the apathetic exit. Both were predicted by prophecy. Both, both, both events were cited in this passage as prophesied and predicted by God. I think it's appropriate for the triumphal entry. But look, why? Why did they leave? There was a dead man who's now alive. Uh, every reason to lean in closer. I think the reason why they started leaving was the call. They weren't willing to, they weren't willing to deal with the demands of the call. 
And there's this mystery to salvation. Salvation cannot be earned, but it costs us everything we have and everything we are. I don't know how you do that math, but that's what it is. We can't earn it, but unless we forsake all we have, and whatever that means for you, it's different than what it might mean for me. That's where it becomes personal. And that's where we realize that even if we've said yes, guess what? The call's going to come again in another season of your life. The cross that we take up is a daily one. And I've, you know, I've lived long enough in the Lord, 39 years now, that I've had to go back and back again and again. And I've, I've sobbed harder and grieved harder ever than, than ever before I was a Christian since because of what God was leading me to do or had given me to deal with. That I, like all I could do was just say, you know, so, like to me, I don't, at the human level, it's not a surprise to me that many people, having started down the journey, come to the point where they say, nope, I'm not, I didn't sign up for this. If there was a God, how could he have blah, 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 fill in the blank. My wife and I, 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 you know, when it comes to as hard things that we might have to face, I would have to say the loss of a child has to be up there. Among, humanly speaking, some of the hardest things. And my wife and I have held a stillborn baby in our hand. And it, I mean, we love our children. It was, it was devastating. And whatever the purposes of God were, I want to tell you, you, you've got a choice at that moment. Are you going to lean into God and ask him, what, how, why? Or are you just going to draw a conclusion based on our own understanding, our own expectations, that gives us permission to walk away at the human level. I, I mean, we, we probably don't voice things like this, but in our minds, if, if we were ever going to say something like, God, I'll serve you, but don't ask me for this. Don't let this happen. And then it does. Like that's, I'm here to tell you, there is, when we say, God, you can have all of me, he takes us at our word. And then we have to realize, well, wow, how do we do this? And we might find ourselves reduced and reduced and reduced and reduced until there's really nothing left but this essential, this essential faith that says, I will not deny my God. I might not understand what's going on here, but I know my God and he'll show me the way. We find ourselves having to deal with these issues of suffering. Like, and as I move to a close here, like we, somehow we get this, this concept that because God can, does deliver, and he has, that it's always going to be on a certain time frame or a certain way. And, and we have to give up those assumptions. And we have this idea also that it's somehow this honorable thing to become a Christian. Like, like I don't know. Like, you can be like a rock star Christian or something. And if we look at who the heroes of our faith were and what they were called to do, honestly, we may, we may ask questions. 
The worst of all, if I could just... say this because I want to try and put ourselves in the minds of the people that were there. Like some of us might think, hey, if I saw a miracle, boy, I wouldn't need any more convincing. I don't think, I mean, I know enough now about humanity and myself that that's no guarantee because there are a lot of people here that saw the miracles, heard the stories, had firsthand accounts, and still turned away. And if I was going to say Again, going back to that loss of a child thing. In Bethlehem, 28, 30 years before this, every two-year-old little boy was taken and killed. Except one. Now this same little boy, 30 years later, comes back and claims to be the Messiah. And somehow I put together the fact that there was the fulfilling of a prophecy, Rachel weeping for her children, that had to do with my child's death and this, this guy's life. Like, how do you process that, people? I'm not trying to be dramatic. I'm telling you that it gets really gritty when we face some of these realities. And I hope to God none of us ever have to face something that hard. But if we do, guess what? Jesus is inviting us to lean in, draw near, and follow the call. And if we're willing to see that what does it profit a man to gain the whole world if he loses his soul, is real. And it's not just financial, it's not just health, it's not just anything we might list that the world and security and peace in this world can offer apart from him. It's everything. Fill in your own blanks. It's not worth it to lose our own soul. Even if we can justify ourselves and say, well, look what they did, look what they did, look what they got, and look what God did to me. It's not worth it. So today, it is our time to say he is no fool to agree with Jim Elliot, who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And what is that essential thing? And I want to just say, the hope that was being expressed on Palm Sunday, the joy and the exhilaration, the anticipation in God was well-placed. To right-size it and hone it, to laser-focus, this is the unchangeable uh, pearl of great price. That The essence of which is eternal life, what we inherit in the kingdom. Jesus said, this is life eternal, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. This is it. In Matthew 11, he said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. Learn of me, for I, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, and you shall find rest for your souls. That's the one. 39 years down this road, I am more convinced than ever that it was the rest for my soul that God was primarily interested in. That's what I got. I still got the bad knee. I got more aching joints. Thankfully, I got rid of my addiction in time before it devoured me. But 
through everything, through the answered prayers, through the miracles, through the, the unanswered prayers and the delays and the pain that I never saw coming. The, the peace that passes understanding has not ever changed and I have rest for my soul and you can too. Be willing to bring your burdens to God. He's good. He meets us where we're at. He knows your needs. At the bottom of every need though, is the rest for our souls that he is good to deliver upon. Today, we can draw near. We're going to lay down our arguments. We're going to lay down our excuses. And we're going to give them to God. We're not going to pretend they're not there, but we're going to stop holding them up in front of God and saying, I'd follow you, but this. You mean forgive this person? Uh, what? How, how many times? You mean I have to let go of this? Yep. Yep. So Father, thank you for loving us, drawing us into this conversation where we hear things, questions, and the answers that are hidden from the wise and prudent of this world. By faith, I trust you to give faith to everyone here, Father God. To surrender to the one true and living God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. We'll follow you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.